Well, I wonder if we could turn in our Bibles uh, just now to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 21. And if you get uh, that quickly, then could you put your finger in the Psalm 52? First Samuel chapter 21 and also Psalm 52. Verse 1 of chapter 21 of First Samuel. Then came David to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid at the meeting of David and said unto him, Why art thou alone and no man with thee? And David said unto Ahimelech the priest, The king hath commanded me a business and hath said unto me, Let no man know anything of the business whereabout I send thee. And have I, I have commanded thee, and I have appointed my servants to such and such a place. Now therefore, what is under thine hand? Give me five loaves of bread in mine hand, or what uh, there is present. And the priest answered uh, David and said, There is no common bread under mine hand. But there is hallowed bread, if the young men have kept themselves at least from women. And David answered the priest and said unto him, Of a truth women have been kept from us about these three days since I came out. And the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in a manner common, yea, though it were sanctified this day in the vessel. So the priest gave him hallowed bread, for there was no bread there but the shoe bread that was taken from before the Lord to put hot bread in the day when it was taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chiefest of the herdmen that belonged to Saul. David said unto Ahimelech, And is there not here under thine hand spear or sword? For I have neither brought my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom thou slewest in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If thou wilt take that, take it, for there is no other save that here. And David said, There is none like it, give it me. And David arose and fled that day for fear of Saul, and went to Achish the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said unto him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing one to another, of him in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? And David laid up these words in his heart, and was sore afraid of Achish the king of Gath. And he changed his behavior before him, and feigned himself mad in their hands, and scrambled on the doors of the gate, and let his spittle fall down upon his beard. Then said Achish unto his servants, Lo, ye see, the man is mad, therefore then have ye brought him to me. Have I need of madmen, that ye brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? And we will just turn over, please, to chapter 52. We'll be dealing with more of the story of Doeg that is recorded in 1 Samuel. But just let's read the Psalm 52. He says, Why boastest thou thyself in mischief, 
O mighty man, the goodness of God endureth continually. The tongue deviseth mischiefs like a sharp razor, working deceitfully. Thou lovest evil more than good, and lying rather than to speak righteousness, Selah. Thou lovest all devouring words, O thou deceitful tongue. God shall likewise destroy thee forever. He shall take thee away and pluck thee out of thy dwelling place and root thee out of the land of the living Selah. The righteous also shall see and fear and shall laugh at him. Lo, this is the man that made not God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his wickedness. I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. I will praise thee forever because thou hast done it and I will wait on uh, thy name for it is good before thy sins. We know that again the Lord will bless the reading of his precious word to our hearts. Let's just unite together at the throne of grace in prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy precious word to our hearts. We thank thee for the way that God's word fits together. We thank thee for the picture that we get from one place to the other as we compare scripture with scripture. And, O oh God, we think of the condemnation of wickedness and, Lord, the, the destruction of doing that we have outlined for us in these portions of Scripture. And we pray, Lord God, even tonight, that we might not be those that come to destruction. Lord, that the condemnation of God may not be upon us, but, oh, that there might be the acceptance of God, that we might be brought in, that we might be part of the family of God, and that thy grace and mercy might be upon us. Shut us in with thyself tonight and draw us nigh to thee, for it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen. Amen. Now, I want to take you back to the days when the tabernacle was encamped in a place called Nob, in the days when David was on the run from King Saul. Remember how that an evil spirit had possessed King Saul and in his madness he was seeking to slay David. And David at this time really has no place to go. He has fled, he's just gathered, or afterwards he gathered a little collection of followers. But as he is here in this portion of scripture, he's, the Ahimelech asks him why he's come alone. He's alone, he's nobody with him. The few men that are with him have nothing to eat, they're hungry. And he goes to Nob, he goes to this man, Ahimelech, because Ahimelech, down through the years, had been his counselor. Ahimelech had been a man of wisdom that had helped him in times gone by. And really at this time, David has nobody else to go to except to this man, Ahimelech. And we find that Ahimelech does help him. Ahimelech gives him some of the showbread that had been consecrated for the Lord, for the people to eat there. And also he had given David the sword of Goliath, whom he had slain many years before. And we are told of the help that this man and the priests of Nob, Nob was the place where the tabernacle was, the priests of God were in that place, and they had helped King David. 
But I want you to see that we're told and we almost feel the tension beginning to rise and the word of God inserts an ominous reference here to a man that we're introduced to here. And the text reads here, Now a certain man, verse 7, of the servants of Saul was there that day detained before the Lord, and his name was Dueg, an Edomite, the chiefest of the herdmen that belonged to Saul. And Dueg was in the tabernacle that day. The Bible indicates that he was detained before the Lord. It might be that Dueg there was there worshipping the Lord. It might have been the Sabbath day, and therefore he couldn't go on his journey. He had uh, gone as far as the, uh, the laws of the scribes and Pharisees would allow them to go in that day. And so he was in Nob. And he saw all that transpired. He saw what happened with Ahimelech and David. How that David had been supplied by, with bread and with the sword of Goliath. And we find that this man sees an opportunity. He's, we're told here that he was the chiefest herdman that belonged to Saul. And he saw that there was an opportunity to ingratiate himself with his master. That he could tell his master the whereabouts of his enemy, David, at this time. And we find that that's exactly what he does. Uh, just after this, Saul comes to Nob. He is looking for David. He has got wind of the fact that David has been in Nob. And the, uh, this man, uh, Duig, steps forward and he begins, begins to tell all that had taken place. How that Ahimelech and the priests had supplied David with supplies and all of the rest of it. And really... This was a death sentence upon the Ahimelech and the priests. Duig would have known all of that. He knew something of the madness of Saul. He was Saul's servant. He would have known the kind of disposition that Saul had. And so he was ready to turn in these priests and really put a death sentence upon them. And that's what happened. David said, or rather Saul said, to his men, fall on these priests. When, he, when he, he heard that they had helped his arch enemy David, he said to them, slay them, just kill them all. And his servants were loath to kill the priests. They had enough in them to know that this was not something that they should do. But Duick volunteers to slay the priests. If you look at verse 17, it says, The king said unto the footmen that stood about him, Turn and slay the priests of the Lord, because their hand also is with David, and because they knew not, uh, or they knew when he fled and did not show it to me. And we find that David uh, then, uh, uh, here he is, Saul, he says, to slay the priests. And if you look at verse 19, we find that. Uh, Duig now goes to this work of slaying the priests. But if you look at verse 19, he goes beyond that. It says, And Nob, the city of the priests, smote he with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and sucklings, oxen and asses and sheep, with the edge of the sword. So there is a bloodbath in Nob. There's a genocide 
in Nob, in the city of the priests. And this man, Duig, is the man that is responsible for it. Now, we read Psalm 52. And if you look at the title, if you've got the title in your Bible, you will see that this Psalm 52 is entitled To the Chief Musician Maskell, a Psalm of David when Duig the Edomite came and told Saul and said unto him, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. So this is a Psalm, Psalm 52, is written about the time that we are reading about here in 1 Samuel 21 and 22. And you'll notice the way that the psalm speaks about this man doing. If you look at verse uh, 1 and verse 3, it says, Why boastest thou, thou thyself in mischief, O mighty man? Thou lovest evil more than good, and lying rather than to speak righteousness. So the Bible says that this was a man that loves evil more than good. And then we read about the end of the doings of this world. If you look at Psalm 52, verse 5, it says, God shall likewise destroy thee forever. He shall take thee away and pluck thee out of thy dwelling place and root thee out of the land of the living Selah. So here we have the destruction of Duig. Not only the destruction of Duig, but his life stands as a warning for us. Here we have the Spirit of God warning us about a man like this. And we want to learn the lessons tonight about the destruction of Duig. I want to warn you, dear sinner, in the meeting or looking on over the internet. I want to warn you, lest you come to destruction, because the destruction of God is real. We do not like to speak about it today, or in many places at least, they don't like to speak about these things. But the wrath of God is real, and you need to flee from wrath to come. So we want to think tonight for a few minutes about the destruction of Duig. And there are a number of things about Duig that I want you to see in these portions of Scripture that we have read and others maybe that we haven't read as yet. But first of all, I want you to think about the characteristics of Duig. I want you to, we've already thought about the wickedness of this man and the Bible speaks about how he loved evil better than good and so on. But there are other things that I just want you to see as we think about this man for a few minutes. And the first thing is the people that he came from. Now, you'll notice that he's an Edomite. It says here in verse 7, and his name was Duig, an Edomite. And that means that he was a descendant of Esau. He was a descendant of uh, Abraham. He was uh, the, the brother of Jacob. You remember how that Esau and Jacob were twins and how they came out of the womb really fighting that Jacob had caught heel, hold of the heel of his brother and there was an enmity between them how that later Jacob really swindled his brother out of his birthright and that led to a real enmity between the people of Edom, the Esauites if we call them that and the Jacobites or the Jews who down through the... Um, 
through the um, uh, passage of time, there was that enmity between them. But we think about them here, they're closely related then. Uh, They are cousins, really. They're cousin nations, the Jews and the Edomites. But we think about that verse in the book of Malachi, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, where it says, Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. So while the people of Jacob were marked as God's people, and while they were marked as the people that God had mercy upon, we read in the Bible that the people of Esau really in many ways were cursed of God. We see that he, his heritage was laid waste. The dragons of the wilderness were all that he could count as his own. And so here is a man that really stands as a picture of those that are the enemies of God down through the ages. There had been that enmity between the Edomites and the Jews, and there was this uh, real division. They were brother nations. They were really cousin nations, and yet there was that deep-down difference, that fundamental difference between how they stood before God. And you know, the year is this man doing, and he had a problem with his heritage. He had a problem because he was uh, among the people that were the enemies of God. And dear friend, it is the same with you. You have an heritage as a man, a son of Adam, as being a sinner in the sight of God. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And this man wanted honor. He wanted to be a man that was uh, ingratiated to the king. He was a man who wanted the honor that the king would bestow upon him. But here he was, and he was at enmity with God. And dear friend, if you're at enmity with God, doesn't matter what plaudits you have or what the world may say about you, if you're at enmity with God, you're in a very difficult, a very uh, dangerous position indeed. And I want you to see that. And this man here is a man who has a heritage that marks him out as an enemy with God. And we all have that heritage in uh, Adam. But not only do I want you to see the people that he came from, but I want you to see the place where he was. You'll notice that he was in Nob here. And we have mentioned that he was in the place of worship. Nob was the place Uh, When Shiloh was destroyed, the tabernacle had been encamped at Shiloh for many years. That's where it was when Samuel was called and so on. But uh, Shiloh had been destroyed. And so the tabernacle had been taken and it had been erected again at this place. And this is where the priests were. They were those that were administering the temple services. But here was a place then that was sacred. It was a place where the sacrifices were made. It's the place where God was worshipped. It's the place where the Shekinah glory of God came down and where God was worshipped and where the people brought their sacrifices and their praises to God. And so it was a special place, also the place where the sword of Goliath was kept. And it was many, in many ways a sacred place, a historical place, 
at this time as far as the people of God were concerned. Now, I want you to see the phrase again in verse 7. It says, Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Duke and Edomite. Now, we have said that maybe he was detained on a Sabbath day's journey and he couldn't go on. But it seems in some way or other, it says that he was detained before the Lord. And that phrase, to me, would suggest worship. The word before there is a word that um, in many ways would speak of in the face of God, uh, where the word before is used is often in that sense and that connotation that you're standing in the face of God. And so there seems to be that suggestion that even though this was a wicked man, as a Hebrew, he was a Hebrew, uh, he was a descendant of, 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 of um, Abraham. Therefore, he was a Hebrew, and he would have had the right to come to the altar. He would have had a right to come to the tabernacle, even though he was an Edomite. He would have had that right to come to the altar and come into the place where God was to be worshipped. And it seems to suggest here, and we're speculating a little, but it does seem to suggest that that's what he was doing. Here's a man who comes to the place where God is worshipped. Indeed, he is detained there. It may be that he had, uh, in many ways, stayed there and he was uh, in the midst of the worship. And then you add to that the fact that the Jewish rabbis have the story that Duig was very skilled in playing the harp. And their thought is that he was here playing the harp in praise to God. That's what he was doing here in the midst. He was there. He was in the tabernacle. He was a skillful, um, uh, 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 he was a skillful performer on the psaltery, not the harp. But here he was, and he was involved in the music. He was uh, giving of his talents in the worship of God. And yet he was an evil man. And yet, in the Psalm 52, the, the Lord says that he's going to destroy this man. And that tells us something, men and women. You know, people say, well, if I go along to church, if I am um, involved in my church, if I uh, am there at the worship, well, then I am a person who is a follower of God. But dear friend, you could be in the worship. And you could be right in the center of the worship and you could be detained in the worship and you could go along to church Sunday by Sunday and it's a good thing if you go to church. There you will hear the word of God and faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But dear friend, you could go out of a gospel meeting and still go down to the place of destruction and still go down into that place of uh, everlasting uh, lostness and destruction in the sight of a holy God. And here's a man who seems that the Jewish rabbis have the story, and of course um, it's not the gospel truth that we have in the word of God, but there was some, there must have been some basis to what they were saying. And here's a man who seems to have been uh, involved in the worship of God and in the tabernacle and still is 
destroyed. You see, dear friend, it's not where you go and the worship that you seem to make, but it's how you stand before God, how you treat the God of heaven. Have you by faith come to him and stopped your rebellion and laid down the puny arms of uh, rebellion against him? And have you come to the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ? We see then the place that he was in. But not only do we see the person that he was and the place he was in, but look at the plan that he hatched. Because when Duick was there at Nob, and he saw David and his men coming, and he saw Ahimelech the priest giving him the bread and giving him the sword, he said, this is my opportunity. As we said before, he felt, well, this information is going to be useful for me. I can use this information to advance myself and to advance my reputation in the eyes of King Saul. And at this stage, the, David was the Lord's anointed king. And here he is now, and he's going to conspire against the Lord's anointed king, the man who was be, to be in the ancestry, in the line, the Lord Jesus Christ was from the house and lineage of David. And here's a man who is conspiring against the house and lineage of David. And you can see how serious this is. You can see the devilish uh, motivation that is behind it. You can see almost the devil standing in the shadows, motivating this man for the sake of advancement, for the sake of riches, for the sake of power. He's going to go against, as it were, the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you doing the same? Dear unsaved person, for the sake of advancement, for the sake of power, for the sake of friendship? Is that what you're doing in order to advance yourself? You count that greater than serving the Lord Jesus Christ? And we see some of this man's characteristics. But then secondly, I want you to see his callousness. I want you to see that this man now uses the opportunity and he goes to tell Saul he is going to tell the tale of what he has seen. He's going to betray David. And I want you to notice the marks of his callousness. I want you to see the terms in which he speaks. Look at uh, chapter 22 and verses 9 and 10. This is now when Saul comes to search out for King David at uh, Nob. Look at what it says in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 22. Then answered Duke the Edomite, which was set over the servants of Saul, and said, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Ahimelech the son of Ahitub. And he inquired of the Lord for him, and gave him victuals, and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. And you'll see now Duig bringing against uh, David the accusation here, uh, doing here, he's um, seeking now to advance his own agenda. He's seeking to uh, advance his own uh, career in the midst of all of this. And we find that he betrays David. And when he does that, he knows what he's doing. Doing 
knows exactly what he's doing here. He knows that he's betraying the man of God. And when the betrayal is made, Saul immediately says to his servants, slay these priests, slaughter everything that is in sight. And we've told you the story about what happened and how the uh, priests of the uh, city of Nob were slain. But also we think of how um, David or uh, Doeg went further than that. Because not only did he slay the priests, but he slay, slew the women and the children and the sucklings. And there was a genocide in the midst of all of these things. And you see the marks of his callousness. But I want you to see what motivated his callousness. Because what it was was a faithlessness. It was a disbelief. He didn't believe in David. He didn't believe that David was the Lord's anointed. He didn't believe he believed in Saul. This man that had turned against God. There was no belief. And the Bible says that faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. But not only was he motivated by this faithlessness or unbelief. But he was motivated by fear. The Bible's or the Hebrew name doing just means fearing. This was a fearful man. And here he was when the servants of Saul, the Benjamites, his own tribe, would not fall upon the priests of Nob. Here's a man doing who was willing to do that. Now it might have seemed like a brave thing to do. But here's a man who was afraid of Saul. Here's a man who was afraid. This Saul the king had just pronounced a death sentence upon every priest in the city of Nob. He was a man who was willing to put his enemies to death. And so out of a sense of fear, this man Duig goes to the slaughter. And you not only notice the uh, motivation here of his fear, but you notice the multiplication of his callousness because sin took him further than he wanted to go. The uh, king had said, slay the priests. But look what it says in second, or 1 Samuel 22, verses 18 and 19. It says, that The king said to Duig, Turn thou and fall upon the priests. And Duig the Edomite turned, and he fell upon the priests, and slew in that day fourscore and five persons that did wear a linen ephod. And Nob, the city of priests, smote he with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and sucklings, and oxen and asses and sheep with the edge of the sword. And he ends up slaughtering 85 priests of the Lord. And this is uh, something that uh, was murder. But you see that he goes beyond that. And he slays the women and the children and the sheep and the oxen and the asses and the little ones, little babies. He slays them all. That's not what Saul had told him to do. Saul had not commanded him to do that. But as he got into the slaughter, the bloodlust obviously got into his heart and he's led into this genocide. Sin takes you further than you want to go. 
Sin will cost you far more than you want to pay. And how many it is. Maybe uh, there has been something that you have done and you've tried to cover it up. And it involves lies. And in order to cover up what you've done, you've had to lie and you maybe have had to do other things. It's like David when he, uh, he committed adultery with Bathsheba and then had to cover it up and got into murder. Satan will take you further than you want to go. You think of the drug addict. You think of the alcoholic. They never wanted to lie in the gutter. They didn't want to see their family broken up. But that's exactly what sin has done. Sin will take you further than you want to go. And here is this man, and we see here his characteristics, and we also see his callousness. But then I want you to see his condemnation. Turn over to Psalm 52 now, and I want you to see the way now that the Bible condemns this man. He's under the condemnation of God. And I want you to see that the condemnation is strong. Look at verse 5. God shall likewise destroy thee forever. This is a man who had destroyed the Lord's priests. This is a man who had destroyed women and children, little babies. God says, God shall likewise destroy thee. He shall take thee away, pluck thee out of thy dwelling place, And root thee out of the land of the living, Selah. And I want you to see that this condemnation here is strong. David proclaims here the end of the wicked. It's total ruin. In verse 5, David describes everlasting ruin. He says that God uh, will uh, take them away like a razor, as it were. He'll cut them off. God shall likewise, he says, destroy thee. He will pluck thee away out of thy dwelling place. There's no safe place for the wicked to hide. His home is destroyed. His dwelling place, where he feels safest. There is no place of safety where you can escape from the Lord. The condemnation is strong. The condemnation also is just. Look at verse 7. Lo, this is the man that made not God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his wickedness. And you can see that Duig had done this for advancement. He had done it for riches. But God says here that he trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his wickedness. And so... What God does here is just. Here is judgment in kind. The man had lifted himself up. God was going to bring him down. And you can see that in many places in the word of God. Judgment in kind. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. The condemnation is just. And when men and women are put into an everlasting hell, it is just. But not only is the condemnation strong, and the condemnation is just, but I want you to see the condemnation is final. Look again at verse 5. God shall likewise 
destroy thee forever. Forever. No coming back. God's condemnation of evil is final. When the evil, the, the wicked go out of this world, their wickedness departs with them. But there's no second chance. There's no coming back. There's no doing it over again. There are no second chances in the afterlife. This condemnation, if you're under the condemnation of God in your uh, death, then it is forever. It's final. And here is the condemnation of God upon this man. He thought that he'd get advancement. He thought that he would get into a place where he was ingratiated before the king. But he was condemned by the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But one more thing I want you to see very briefly, and that is his contrast. We've looked at his character and his callousness. We've looked at his condemnation. But there is a contrast that is drawn in Psalm 52. He makes a contrast between the wickedness of doing and the place where David was. And David outlines, if you look at verses 8 and 9 of Psalm 52, but he says, But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. I will praise thee forever because thou hast done it. And I will wait on thy name, for it is good before thy saints. Who are the saints? They are those that trust alone in the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation. And you'll notice the way that they're described. They're stable. They're like a green olive tree. They're like a tree planted by the river of water that we read about in the first Psalm. And that speaks of stability. In verse 5, God warns the wicked that he will pluck thee out of thy dwelling place. So they're going to be plucked up by the roots. They're going to be uprooted. They're going to be taken out of of their dwelling place. But the righteous are planted like a green olive tree. They're on a strong foundation, for their foundation is Christ. They're not taken away by the fashions and the evil uh, devisings of the world in which we live, but they are grounded in the very heart of God. They're stable. Not only are they stable, but they're supplied. It's a green olive tree. It is supplied by the water. It's supplied by the nutrients. It draws all its goodness from the foundation which it is established. And no other foundation can any man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ. And all our goodness and all the goodness that we have and all of the blessings that we have flow to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And the child of God is supplied and we are satisfied Because we're supplied day by day. And then you'll notice that not only is the man here stable and supplied, but he's saved. He says, I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. The uh, wicked man doing here, he's going to be destroyed forever. But David says, I will trust in the mercy of the Lord forever. He's not trusted in himself, but you notice that God's mercy is forever. It's not going to change. It's not going to come to an end. And if we want salvation, we want a salvation that's going to last. 
that's not going to fade in any way or it's not going to come to an end. This is everlasting salvation. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. And if you're going to have everlasting life, and if you're going to have everlasting salvation, then you need everlasting mercy. And we see the salvation of this man. Are you saved tonight? Are you washed in the precious blood of the Lamb? One more thing we see about the righteous man here. His sweet rest. Look at what he says in the verses. Verse 9. I will praise thee forever. Now that speaks of heaven. Where do we praise God forever? We praise God forever in heaven. We're not going to be here uh, in this scene of time forever. But if we're going to praise God forever, then that speaks of heaven. That place of rest, that place of bliss, where we'll sing the praises of God forever. He says, I will wait on thy name, for it is good before thy saints. And waiting upon God's name there, waiting upon God, speaks of service forever. And we'll serve God throughout all eternity in that place of eternal rest and in that place of eternal bliss. Are you going to heaven? Not everyone is going to heaven. He speaks here about doing, and he's going to be plucked up forever. He says in verse 5, God shall likewise destroy thee forever. But David says, I will praise thee forever. There is the great division the ultimate division between those that are saved and those that are lost. Which are you? Where do you stand before the mighty God of heaven? May you come. May you trust in the Lord. And may you know the salvation that David sang about here in the Psalm 52. Let's just bow, please, in a word of prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father in heaven, we do thank Thee that while this man doeg and those that reject Thee are destroyed forever, yet David could say, I will praise Thee forever. And we thank Thee for the rest that is for the people of God. And we thank Thee for the salvation that is given to those that trust in Thee. O God, we pray that thou wouldst draw sinners to thyself, that thou wouldst bring them from the place of destruction and bring them into the place of praise. Be with each one tonight and write thy word upon hearts, for it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen. Amen. Maybe we could sing a verse or so of the closing hymn, 243. Sinners Jesus will receive. Sound the word of grace to all who the heavenly pathway leave. All who linger, all who fall. We'll sing the first two verses of the hymn and we'll stand as we sing. Thank you. 
loving God and our gracious Father in heaven, we do thank thee for thy mercy to our hearts. We thank thee, Lord, that thou dost receive sinful men, receive such tonight, bring them to thyself, and now uh, part us in thy fear and with thy blessing. We pray that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit may rest and abide with thy people both now and in the incoming days. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen.